Welcome back to another episode of Zenith Podcast, where we explore culture, relationships, nature, art, consciousness, and the appreciation of life. I'm here with Dr. Mark Jenneris. He's assistant professor at Kapoli Pomona, as well as a singer-songwriter. Welcome, Mark. Caesar, what's going on? You hey. made me sound so important. You are so important, <laughs> especially to me. You are, you're my academic advisor. You're my professor like of the majority of the classes I took, Yeah. let alone... like. I think the professor for all the classes that I love, like I, I fell in love with. There were four classes total. Theory, nonverbal, family, advanced interpersonal. Yes. Yeah. yeah, all four. Yeah. Which other classes do you teach, by the way? Oh, gosh. Research methods, advanced research methods, intro to interpersonal. And I think that's about those seven courses. And then we're adding more to the rotation, like dark side of communication, emotion and communication. Like yeah, I wish I we we could I wish I could have like taken dark side communication. I do remember seeing that in the like in the course catalog, and I was never able to do it. What what, what is that class about? So essentially, in that class, the focus is supposed to be on the dark elements of relationships. So some of the topics are infidelity, jealousy, uncertainty, topic avoidance, fatal attraction, basically anything that sounds dark and sexy. <laughs> so it's pretty much like toxicity like toxic yeah like. but the way i would have structured it is i would have actually broken it into both dark and bright sides so that way there would have been dark elements and then also the bright sides like gratitude appreciation love intimacy because i think sometimes as human beings we are obsessed with the negative we're obsessed with the shit that can go wrong because it's interesting and i think it can be equally as interesting to focus on the really bright side of communication yeah i mean also especially with communication like it's so it's so interesting like just learning and taking classes of it because i remember like the first class i took i took with you was uh, comp theory you know theory. which it was it was mainly lecture because you were just telling us all these different theories compared to taking family communication and fast interpersonal where it was all like discussion based like, yeah. and i felt like i learned just as much if not more in those discussion based classes like compared to just like reading material like off of a book you know yeah it was just like it, like it's so crazy like like just going in like in learning communication and like how did you come into communication your love love for it you know i remember it quite well so i was an undergrad and i was a broadcasting major my goal was to be a news anchor i was like give me a microphone and we're going to report the news and then i did my news internship and i realized i don't like the news and i'd already gone so far into the major so i couldn't really turn back but i remember i had signed up for a communication minor so it wasn't even a major yet. And I took interpersonal communication with uh, Leslie Withers. And she I mean, she walked into the room. She must have been like 38 years old. And I thought, you can be that young and be a professor. Because all the broadcasting professors were old white men. And so to see somebody young, a woman, come in and teach a class. And I fell in love with the concepts. So I remember we learned about nonverbal communication, family communication, conflict. And I thought... This can literally be a major. And so after that class, I signed a double major. So I was broadcasting and communication. And as I was finishing undergrad, I uh, decided to go to graduate school for communication. And then a master's program turned into a PhD. And then now I'm a professor. So really, basically, a series of mistakes and a series of learning what I didn't like led me to what I actually do enjoy. 
That is 100% how I went through as well. Because my first year in college, I went for animal science and yeah. I got academically disqualified. But the only animal science. Yeah. One of the only classes I passed was smog communication. And it was it was with <laughs> Professor Analia Martinez. All right. Who, uh, she was one of the like highest rated professors, uh, rated my professor for the, for the campus. Yeah. And she just like like all everything I learned in that class, I didn't realize that like wow, you could like you could learn this stuff like this is a major for it. So then after I got kicked out, I realized that hey, there's more classes for communication. So I started to, I took interpersonal communication, intercultural, yeah. Yeah. public like public speaking, all in community college, and I found love as well. Like wow, that's so interesting. Like <laughs> no, no, no. so when I was first doing communication, my my belief is this, and I think a lot of communication teachers would say this: people often don't go to college saying they're going to be a communication major because in high school, nobody talks about it as a field of study. Yeah. You could talk about psychology. Maybe you've heard about anthropology. You've definitely heard about biology, chemistry, math, all of the STEM kind of courses. But you don't really hear about communication. Most students don't even take public speaking in high school. So when you get into college, you'll often take interpersonal as like an elective or a GE course. And you get to the course and you go, wait, 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 wait. I can literally have this be a major. Yeah. And that's what draws people into the major. Yeah. So for me, a lot of times when I teach interpersonal, students will say, oh my gosh, I want this to be my major. And they'll sign a major or a minor. Yeah, I mean, I don't... There was no communication classes that were offered in high school for me. No. Yeah, so like I had no exposure to like what can I learn. And it's crazy because like what we learn is very like... It's not, it's, it's not complex like information that we're learning. Yeah. It's just all like contextual though. You know, like it all like... I have a theory that it is everything we learn is common sense that you didn't have words for. And this field is basically putting words. Like put labels on it. Like you already knew. And you're like, now I have a word to describe it. Yes. <laughs> yes. I totally agree with clarity that. can be so wild to say, oh, so I'm upset because my expectation was violated, you know, or we're having a conflict about connection and autonomy. Just to have those words, I think it just provides a little bit more uh, clarity. To your relationships. What's interesting though is you go to anybody outside of college who doesn't know what communication is and they think it's communications with an S on it. Yes. And that's very different. I started I started thinking it was yeah, all that. Communicate if you say I study communications with an S on it, that typically means you're studying like some type of broadcast communication or more network communication where I'm trying to understand how do I get one message out to millions, right? Yes. Human communication, no S on communication is really the study of messages between people in relationships. Yeah, yeah I um, the way I try to talk, uh, I try to explain what, what's communication, the way I see it, it's uh, it's essentially like the the um, the process of putting thoughts into words and actions. Because yeah. a lot of times, like so many times, people just respond on, like, on reaction. You know, they respond on instinct. You know, when communication gives you that awareness to look into situations and be like, okay, like, most of like the biggest thing to do is like to stay calm, not let your emotions like get in, get in the way, you know. And I feel like that is something we talked about in class a lot. So much, yeah. And what's interesting too is that's a new concept I brought into my classes, probably only in the last three years. That's something that I brought in just for my own reading about mindfulness, breathing, and trying to understand emotional intelligence. Because when I was first going through communication, I feel like that wasn't a huge emphasis. So that's something that I've learned on the side that I've tried to bring into my courses. Because I really see our field like communication. It's a marriage between like psychology, sociology, communication. It's a little bit of everything. Yeah, I mean like, yeah, even like philosophy, even economics, statistics. Like you could borrow like 
every single other like perspective like every single other focus of study into communication 1000%. that's what i love about it that like you could apply it to so many different things it allows you to be like the jack of all trades yeah. you know like and like i went from thinking like the the major communication to be like something weird like what's the use for it to something that like it's a strength for me now because i could literally apply it to anything you know it's not like oh yeah. I, I went i went to school to study uh, accounting i went to school to study nursing so i could only do that when i graduate like when I when I graduated, I could I, the options were so like limitless. You know, yeah. Depending on what I was exposed to, what resources I can to like access these jobs, you know. Yeah. Hearing you say that brings up a thought that I've had a lot about how when students come into college, it's almost like there is this pressure. What do you want to do? What do you want to be? And I don't know about you, but when I was eighteen, I had no idea. I thought I wanted to be a news anchor, right? Yeah, I and thought I wanted slowly, to be a vet. Yeah. <laughs> And then slowly realize, oh, this isn't what I want to do. And so I'm saying this to say that communication is cool because you can really do anything with it. But I think a lot of people get nervous about majoring in it because it doesn't seem practical or there isn't a very clear end goal. And there is so much pressure. I see it on the students' faces and just in the way that they move throughout the world. It's like, well, how am I going to make money? What am I going to do? Like, what's the outcome? And so advisors will often come and say, well, what kind of job can I get with this? And I go anything and they're like but what can i do and i go well that's for you to figure out and a lot of times they don't appreciate that in the beginning but i think over time that uh, expansiveness in terms of oh i i can have choice in what i do and the ability to communicate is what helps me form relationships and get my foot in the door so i can actually get a job yeah like it could do so much more than just to get you a job but it could open doors of opportunities to network yourself yeah to like expose yourself and it's like kind of a it's kind of a baby that you like you like you take care of that eventually is going to grow into like you know some crazy stuff i remember when we when i was taking i think it was family communication i told you that i kind of came to the to, to like the process that communication is like a muscle yeah that it's something that it's, it's constantly like it's it's constantly moving it's it's, a, it's it's something that you need to constantly work on you know it's super complicated you can't just like oh we had one difficult conversation last week all right we're good for life we you are know? good forever yeah like oh i know like that's not how it works no you know? like, that's not how it works yeah and it's like a muscle you know like in order for it to be strong you need to constantly work on it every single day you need to work it out you know like you need to take care of it it's not yeah. just something that and if you don't use it it gets weak yeah you and know then it i would say i think during the pandemic i how do i phrase this i love people in pre-pandemic i would go out all the time i just want to be around people and then during the pandemic, I fell in love with being alone. Does that make sense? Like, I, I, I discovered that I actually don't mind being alone, but I think I became too comfortable being alone. So I think coming out of the pandemic, I've had to kind of rework who am I communicatively and relationally as I interact with people. And I think that was a blessing in disguise. I needed that alone time. Because I think before I, I leaned too heavy on people-pleasing, and now when I go out into the world, I really don't worry about people pleasing, which is kind of a, an interesting discovery I had throughout the pandemic, you know? And, yeah. and again, that muscle that you're talking about and like what type of exercise do you want to engage in in order to build that muscle? Yeah, like for me, one of the one of the exercises I was engaged in is like was this podcast, you know, just being mm-hmm. able to have conversations with people. Um, not just this, but also like I guess my jobs, I have, I have to just talk to people in general in the public, you know? Um, I realized how like, people's people skills have dramatically increased after lockdown you know like um i one of my jobs that i do right now is like i um i work at events during the weekend yeah so 
I'm always like coming to uh, coming in contact with people, and some sometimes people aren't interested in what I'm trying to talk to them about, you know, because I'm I'm a vendor. Like I need to talk to people about like the product that my company sells, and a lot of times, like they just like they just look at me, they don't say anything, and walk away. And in a, in my head, I'm like I, a simple no, thank you, like will go a long way. You know, if you think about it, don't we do that in so many facets of our life? I mean. Think about you're walking on the street and somebody has a petition. Hey, do you want to sign the petition? And you just you keep walking. Or people who are houseless. How many times have you ignored somebody who's houseless? Yeah. Right? So yeah. I, I feel like, yes, that is something I think we've been conditioned to do. Just ignore and they'll go away. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, it sounds kind of sad, doesn't it? It does. But it's just, I think it's just a reality that we live in. I Also, especially just like us in LA, like people here in LA, that's good kind of, we're always on the go, you know? like I have this kind of speculation that the more congested an area is, the more likely you are to ignore people because you get inundated more often. I grew up not a small town, but a town of a hundred thousand. LA's seven million. Yeah. Right? In my hometown, it was very common that you said hi to everybody you walked by. Right? Here, if I said hi to everybody I walked by, they'd be like, Who the hell is this freak? Yeah, like he's on <laughs> something like <laughs> There's something off about that guy. Right? Yeah. You think that has to do has to do with people being like just like in like in LA being desensitized to human interactions where like it's not as valuable? No, I don't think it's that. I just think it's when you're around so many people, you start to set up psychological boundaries so that way you don't interact with everybody because there's just there's not time and space to do it. Whereas in a small town, it's like I'm going to know your business, you know my business because there's only so few of us. In a big town, it's like listen, I got my three peeps that I talk to. Everybody else, I can ignore. Yeah. Oh, and that's okay. played out too in, in like TV shows that take place in New York City. Yeah, kind of shows like yeah, it shows people who are more aggressive in a big city because you got to be aggressive to get through it. Whereas in a small town, again, it's a little bit more slow moving. You talk to people, you have conversations with your barista. Here, you don't have a conversation with your barista. I'll have a tall iced coffee, no cream, thank you, goodbye, boom. Yeah. Whereas I go to Michigan, get an iced coffee. How are you doing? I love your shirt. What's going on? Yeah, like, like while they're making a drink, you talk to them, you have a conversation yes. with them. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I do do that here as well. It depends if it's busy and if it's like a drive-thru store. It, it's contextual, yes. you know? and you know what? I think, too, it, it depends. Every situation is so unique. We could try to make brand claims about LA or New York or small towns, but really it's about that moment, what's happening in that yeah, moment. Yeah, like, if you're present, then you're, like, you're more... Like you're more inclined to like just engage into yeah. a conversation. You know? That's where the mindfulness stuff comes in. That's yes. why I try to incorporate. I try to tell people. I feel like we try so hard to manufacture moments, right? We plan like this can be the best birthday ever. I have this huge plan. That's great. But sometimes you just need to be present in the moment because what if nobody shows up to your birthday? Are you still gonna have a good time? I hope so. It's still your birthday. I think you could have a good time. Yeah. If you could just live in the moment, but sometimes I, I think we we build up these massive expectations just to be let down yeah and that's one of my biggest pet peeves i i hear a lot of people saying that like they didn't like something or they didn't enjoy something because their expectations were not met mm-hmm. and like you know a lot of like expectations like it's it's a good thing and a bad thing you know because like that's how you allow yourself to be happy and be like fulfilled and satisfied yeah but also that's how you allow yourself to be disappointed yeah that's me with every marvel movie <laughs> <laughs> i don't even like marvel movies but i read the reviews and i go this is a very highly reviewed movie and then i go and see it and i think I did not understand why people enjoyed this. <laughs> and maybe my expectation was too high. Who knows? I just stopped seeing them because I know I'm probably not going to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think by now it's like 25, 25 movies in. So I think it's more than that. It's 
pretty deep. Well, it's, it's I think it's twenty five movies in, and then like four shows. Yeah. So like it's already almost thirty. Like unbelievable. I can't, that's thousands of hours. I think too. It's it's like anything like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. I think it to be somebody who's so invested in that universe that no matter what comes out, you're gonna go see it. That's how I am with Marvel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Star Wars. Yeah. Like. Damn. Sorry, I just totally stopped on your thing. No, no worries. No worries. We're not here to talk about that. We're I here know, to talk about communication. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um. To go, go, to go on with that, like when I first went to Cal Poly Pomona, uh, I remember when I was applying when I was applying there, I was originally going to go for public relations, but yeah. then when I was uh, applying, I saw the option of interpersonal, mm-hmm. and I didn't know that was an option. I was like, "What the hell?" Like, because I remember taking that class interpersonal. That was one of my favorite classes. That's yeah. what made me fall in love with communication. And then to hear that, like there was a whole major on that, I'm like, you know what? Like, yeah, let me apply to that. And then I got accepted. And then I saw the coursework. I saw like family communication, negotiation, conflict resolution, and all these classes. I'm like, wow, like these these are classes. And taking your class, um, the comp theory, the first semester there, like it just solidified my my like my confidence in what I'm learning and what I went to school for. Because I feel like a lot of people really struggle with with feeling that confidence of what they're going to school for. Cause you know, there's, I, I hear countless stories of people getting their bachelor's in something and going into careers, something completely different. Like they just got the, they just want to school for the paper, Yeah, you know, not or really they, the knowledge. Or they get a job in their major and they haven't actually done that job before and they become miserable. Yes. And they're like, have I just wasted four years of my life? And thousands of dollars. And, fast. and no, I don't believe that at all. And here's, okay. If I step back, for a moment, my paradigm about college really is about learning ideas and expanding your mind. But I think over the decades, just with a, a lot of societal factors, college is now seen as it's it's seen as job training. It's like a gateway to a job. Yeah, job. like you're supposed to pick a major to get you a job and then network to build. It. And I'm like, that's great. I think there's a space for that, but I think we're leaning too heavy on that. And yeah, we're moving away from what. I thought was the idea of college, which is why I became a professor, about ideas. So I think sometimes when students look to me, they're like, what can I do for a job? And I go, lots of things, because I, I don't think of this college meeting classes, what is, the, how is this going to get me a job? I'm like, this should just be something that you're interested in. Like, you took this class because you wanted to learn about it, right? And I feel like we've, we've moved so far from that, and I hope we can find a middle ground where, hey, I can find practicality in this, but also find it interesting. And I want to delve deeper into like the philosophy of why I'm learning this. I think that relies heavily uh, on, I guess, like the programs that these schools like expand on. You know, because I think a lot of times that idea of wanting to learn and expand your mind uh, draws more attention to the arts than compared to STEM. You know, because with STEM, it's it's pretty it's script based. Where like you go to school for this, you and you get a job in that. Yeah. You know, so I can totally see that. But I would make the argument that even with STEM, you can get pretty philosophical. For instance, like, okay, you have, and I don't really know STEM that much, so I'm going to make uh, a speculation. Okay. Yeah, but I'm studying biology, so yeah, I have the facts about biology, but also deep, deeper philosophically, how did we come to know these facts? Like, what was the research that was done, right? Like, teaching students how knowledge is created as opposed to just shoving knowledge in their face and saying, memorize this and then regurgitate it and get a piece of paper, you know? And what I'm saying, that, that element of learning how knowledge is created and the philosophy behind it, that's the interest in how ideas are created. Yeah. And not necessarily how is this going to get me a job, but okay, now I know how knowledge is created. I can have a little bit 
deeper understanding or a more abstract understanding of how that knowledge is created. Yeah, and I, I, I guess I know. I mean, I could see that people with that mentality going to STEM leads towards innovation. Yeah, well, and that idea also in art as well. That idea of like this, this hardcore. Here's the knowledge. Memorize it. Regurgitate it. That's. I feel like that's infiltrating into all parts of higher education, and so it's just. I find it hard not to criticize it, but I'm trying to accept it and figure out how can I, as a teacher, kind of balance out, okay, I, I want you to have knowledge for a job and for the quote-unquote real world, but I also want you to be curious. I don't want you to lose your curiosity. That's the best part of education. I did not, there was nothing about going to college where I was like, how am I going to make money? I was just, I was so in love with learning. I just wanted to go and like learn from the teacher who I thought was so interesting. I'm like, why did you want to learn this? Because I want to know what fascinated you. Because I'm fascinated by this. You yeah, know? that's I, I totally agree with that. That's why I went to school for what I went for for communication. You know, yeah. like especially picking interpersonal definitely kind of left led me towards this place in my life where I I realized it's okay to do what you want to do sometimes. You know, like like it it's, it could be a risk. You know, because you know, like I think most often it is a risk. Yeah, you know, and if you're willing to take that, that's when the rewards come. High risk, high reward type of thing. You know, because if you take the safe, if you take this like the safe path. You know, it is going to be safe, but is it really going to be as rewarding as doing something that might not work out but will make you so much happier? One thousand percent. It is. It, it's how do I phrase this? There are many paths out there where you can go and make a shit ton of money and lead a very cushy, comfortable life, right? Yeah. I'm not saying that's going to be easy, but that path is laid out. But have you really thought about, is that what you want? Because I just know so many people who pick a path because the outcome is so clear, like this is the money I'll make, I'll get the house, I'll have these things. And then they get it and they're like, I'm miserable. I, I feel so lost. I don't feel like I'm doing what I was meant to do. Yeah. So I do think it's more risky to sit down and actually ask yourself, what do I love and what am I passionate about? I'm not worried right now about how much money I'm going to make. I'll figure that out. But what do I actually enjoy? And that is a risk. Yeah, I mean... Because there's expectations from people, from family members, from communities, from cultures. And so it can be hard to actually think about what it is you want and go in that direction. Yeah, yeah, 100% I agree. Like, it's it's also, like, does play, like, a part with how you, like, see your value yourself. Like, your worth, your potential, you know? Like, one of my biggest fears in life is unfulfilled potential. Like, just because of, like, because, you know, it's like, what could have happened? Literally, I... I wrote a song called Everything Terrifies Me, and that is one of the lines. Yeah? Like, I'm afraid of uh, getting to the end of life and being like, did I do everything I could? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or having just, like, immense regret at the end of life, you know, that unfulfilled or untapped potential. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, when it comes to, like, communication relationships, I, I, there's 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 moments and, and there's opportunities where you can, like, kind of get existential and think about your life in that in that sense, you know? Uh, that happened to me a lot recently. Yeah, where I like, love an existential crisis. I also wrote an entire song about that as well, called "Existential Crisis." <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah. Which is essentially, I mean, an existential crisis is you realizing that we are literally a speck of dust floating in one galaxy of billions, and we are a little human being that's been here on a rock that's been in existence for thirteen billion years. Yeah, we are literally the most insignificant things in the entire world, but also we're so significant. And the existential crisis is like that tension. Yeah, like you're yeah. finding that balance mm-hmm. of like, does everything does not like nothing matters to everything matters, <laughs> you know? Nothing matters, everything. Matters. Have you seen that movie? Uh, everything. 
It's my favorite movie of the last five years. Okay, yeah. yes. I love um, that I've movie. I've seen it twice too. already. Obsessed. I've seen it three times. It's so good. It's so good. I yeah. love it. Like, you notice something different every single time. Yeah. You know, and like, just the way they handle the relationship, like between a mother and daughter and even husband, like. Husband and wife, uh, father, daughter, and then just, oh God, ever, it's so rich and so beautiful and also so funny. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the funniest packed. movies I've oh, seen. I, I can't wait to watch it for a third time. It should win all the awards. It's so well done. It's just such a different movie that has not been told. It's a story that has not been told. Yeah, especially from like an immigrant Asian older woman. Like, yes. Yeah. It was really beautiful. Like I got to show my mom this. And even though she's not Asian, she got to like connect to so much of what the main character Evelyn went through. Because mm-hmm. my mom's an older Hispanic immigrant, you know, like, yeah. and it was it was really beautiful that like she was able to feel that connection, you know, like through a movie. Yeah. Yeah so much i feel like she's so much communication because oh gosh and i don't want to give a spoiler but the, near the end where there's they're connecting but they're still fighting and they're acknowledging like we are not going to always agree with each other in fact you are going to annoy the hell out of me but you want to know what i'll still be here yeah and just that that power of realizing that relationships don't have to be perfect because perfection is a lie so kiss that shit goodbye i say it never in my classes i think sometimes we think relationships have to be perfect and if there's ever a moment of, like, you're pissing me off, then I need to leave you. And it's like, what? Well, it's because you know? that's, like, what social media, like, tells people. Yeah, like, dumb they're, toxic they're, people. They're so and used to, like, disposing so, the good stuff. Sometimes there are really toxic people in your life where you sit back and you go, oh, shoot. Maybe I do need to reevaluate that relationship. But to do it every time, like, we have a disagreement and I go, you're toxic. Yeah. What? You know, maybe we need to have a little bit more reflection and deep thought. It's funny. Um that in, in that idea of like toxic of like automatically like automatically calling red flags I, I think that's that's such an interesting topic it's so funny when people uh try to point out red flags you know because um i i i was dating someone when i was 21 years old and there was and i entered this relationship ended up not working i ended up breaking up with them after like a few months but as like these issues were like be noticed i would talk to my friends about what i'm noticing and yeah. they would immediately go to red flag and i'm like eh, i say yellow flag i'll put it as a yellow flag for yeah. now because you know like you don't know like you don't fully know the whole story i don't fully know the whole story and that's something i didn't realize that like i did that so early before i started taking communication but then like taking these classes kind of reassured that you know like yeah. hey like sometimes like it's not good to like automatically go to red flag it could be yellow flag because you don't know what's the context behind that you know it could be intentional it could not you know like these are some things that you could easily talk 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 to you know talk yeah. about and work it and um that leads to like the misconception that like life is measured in binaries you know like yeah. whether it's like it's, it's black or white when a lot of times I it's not just gonna say that because what you're talking about is this idea that most of life is is and people can disagree with me most of life is not black or white most of life is not on off light switches there it's a continuum most of the things that you grab with conflicts, relationships, whatever, whatever. It's on a continuum. And it's like, where do you rest? I like to say I live in the gray area. I don't live in the black or white area. I'm like constantly in the gray area, which can be immensely frustrating, but also pretty flipping cool too. Yeah. I mean, living in the gray area allows more freedom. Yeah. (laughs) Because like, if you just think in black and white, like it's, it's gonna, it leads to expectations of like, of being disappointed, you know, because like you kind of get this misconception that like, Oh, just because it didn't happen the way I wanted to means like my day's ruined. You know, it yeah. means like oh, like like now everything's going like shit. 
you know. Back to expectations and managing those. And again, I'm not saying don't have expectations. You can, but recognize that they're not always going to go the way you want. And sometimes the best stories in your life, the best moments of your life are where things don't go as planned. Yeah. Right? Think about when you tell people stories on our first date or meeting new people. Typically, your best stories in life are the things that did not go the way you planned. Yeah, you don't. Like, yeah, you don't remember when everything went great, right? Yeah. Like a New Year's Eve where you got drunk and it was a good time. Like, do you remember what happened? Like, no. But do you remember the New Year's Eve where you wanted to go to a party, but then the car broke down and then you had to walk three miles in the snow, right? That's the story. And I try to tell my students that all the time too, because I feel like there's this, this need for life to be perfect and manicured, right? You can get everything delivered to you on your phone. You can have every convenience. And so we're not creating stories anymore. We're just creating these lives where we're just passively going through them. And we get back from work, we turn on TV, we watch the new show on Netflix, we go to bed, we wake up, we drink coffee, we do it again. It's like, where's the story? Where's the mistake? Where's the hurdle that you had to jump over? Where's the shit that blew up in your face? That's the story. And I feel like when I listen to people who tell me stories, that's the essence of the story. It's the shit that hit the fan. Yeah, I mean, that a lot of times, like, it's so interesting, like, when it comes to, like, shit hitting the fan and the way you respond to it, like, it it really does depend on your personality, you know? Because, like, if there's one binary I could kind of, like, connect to is the idea of people looking at life half full the, like the, the glass glass half full half, half, empty. half full half empty that's one binary i could totally like see working you know like especially when it comes to people's perspective because i see a lot of times where like a problem would happen and i try my best to look at the positive of things yeah. you know so a lot of times i'm like it could like can it be worse the answer is yes like most of the time it could literally be worse you yeah. know like if not all the time it could be worse you could just think of one thing that could make it worse and you're like okay like that didn't happen so now this happened. What can I do with it? You know, I'm snapping over here because I'm like, it could always get worse. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, what? I try never to say it couldn't get any worse than this because I feel like you're testing the universe. Yeah, like and the universe is gonna be like, they're listening. Oh, and they're oh, listening. oh, you want me to try? Yeah, I, oh, hold, hold my beer. Give me a second. Yeah, yeah. and also the idea of like, I'm gonna say something really cheesy for a moment. Glass half full, glass half empty. I'm just glad there's anything in the glass at all. Dude, hey, that's a snap. Snaps for that. Snaps. But uh, so going back to what you said with like evaluating your friendships. Yeah. um, That's something that I was able to like kind of do with the class, like with these classes that I learned. Like I remember taking family communication and communication theory, actually. So communication theory, one of the um, one of the aspects that like blew my mind was the aspect of. I mean, not not the aspect, the theory, a social exchange theory. Yeah. Yeah, like the way, I mean, you obviously, like, you teach this material, but so you know way better than I do. But um, from what I remember, like, mm-hmm. what it does is that I kind of see it as, like, the economics of a relationship. Yeah. Because it has to do with, uh, find, like, seeing the, the benefit minus the cost equals the worth of a relationship, you mm-hmm. know? And the worth of a relationship being measured with two different aspects, so with satisfaction and with, um, with, uh, is, is, I mean, satisfaction? Yeah, and then stability. Stability. Yeah. yeah. So how satisfied are you? Are your needs getting met, and are you getting out of the relationship what you expected to get out of it? And then also, do you believe that you can get better? So can you get a better relationship? If you think you can get a better relationship, it's not stable. If you look at your relationship and you're like, "Ooh, it can't get any better than this," it's stable. If you look at your relationship and you're like, "I'm not getting what I expected," dissatisfied. If you look at your relationship and you think, "Okay, yeah, I'm getting what I wanted." You're satisfied. Yeah? Yeah. And it's such a simplistic way to look at it. And 
I go in and out of loving social exchange theory. Because at one point, I'm like, yeah, we all do this. We are all greedy people who just want to maximize our benefits, right? But then also, I, I have another view where I'm like, I don't know. I think we are people who maybe don't so much economically look at our relationships, but instead just crave connection. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. we just we crave connection. So we're not necessarily analyzing the benefits and the costs. We just, gosh, we want to feel something with somebody. Yeah, and I feel like sometimes that could lead towards the trickiness of, like, social exchange theory, where if something is satisfying but not stable, or vice versa, stable and not satisfying, yeah, yeah, yeah. it can, like, it can become an, un- it's an un- it could be an unhealthy relationship, you know? It could be a toxic relationship. But just because one aspect of it is overshadowing the other, which is positive over negative, like, yeah. you, like, think it's okay to, like, you know, like, to put up with the things that you're putting up with that you might not have wanted to. Yeah. You know? And that's what the theory, the theory says. We stay in problematic or abusive or hurtful relationships because we genuinely believe we cannot find anything better. Like, what else is out there? Or we're so afraid to leave the relationship. We're afraid of the consequences. So we stay in it. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I remember after taking that, after learning that, um, one of the very few homework assignments I remember uh, was you asked us to like talk about theory and like how like it applies to your life. life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The journal assignment. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Try grading a hundred and ten of those. I know. Oh I cannot. I cannot. I cannot. <laughs> my gosh, it takes like two and a half weeks. You're like, oh my gosh, this is it's a lot of reading. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it is cool when students actually enjoy the assignment. It's very evident when a student enjoys the assignment because you can tell they're delving and they're like, this. Yes, I see this coming to life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how I felt when I did those assignments, you know, because I was like, wow, like, I, I without even, like, having that assignment in mind, I directly applied that theory to my life. I'm like, I, I, stood, I sat down, I thought about some relationships that, like, I may not be too happy about or, like, you know, like, and thought about, like, is it because I'm not satisfied, satisfied or is it I'm not stable? And then yeah. it, it led me to do something about that, you know? Like, and then I didn't necessarily, like, cut the people off, you know, or, like, you know, like, stop the relationship. It just made me evaluate to see how can it improve. Yeah, you know, because um, taking these communication classes uh, made me realize that, like, uh, it made me learn the ability to like create, imp- uh, create, maintain, and improve healthy relationships. You know, it's all about healthy relationships. We hope, yes, we that's hope. the goal. That's the goal. But then also, I mean, things change at the drop of a dot. Yeah, know? and I think that's why we keep talking about context. And one moment we can be in a relationship and it's wonderful, and then six months down the road we're like well, shoot, this isn't serving me the way that I want it, or this isn't working anymore. Yeah, but even acknowledging that, I think, helps create healthy relationships. Yeah, well, it's acknowledging that and then confronting the conversation, having that difficult conversation of, like, hey, like, this is what I've been feeling. Yeah. You know, because a lot of times people don't do that. They just feel that way. They tell their friends, and they don't do really anything about it until it's kind of like a bottle where, like, you just bottle everything up and it explodes. Yes. And that's happened to me before, you know? For sure, for sure. Gosh. Yes. Were there any other theories in the class that you liked? Um, I remember looking at, uh, besides social exchange theory, like expectancy violation theory yeah. kind of led me to just, it gave me that awareness of like, I'm, I personally, like, I'm, I'm very sarcastic. I'm very open. You know, like, I'm like, I consider myself pretty funny. I crack jokes and stuff. And then sometimes uh, the joke wouldn't hit. You know, like sometimes, sometimes Damn, I'll fumble. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll fumble that. a laugh. You know, and yeah. like, like, you know, like it may be because like I might have been like a little too mean, or like I might have been a little bit too serious. You know, I might have been like it's a lot of different things. And then 
uh, I kind of realized, oh wow, like I probably like they just probably wasn't expecting that. You know, it's also getting getting to know people. Um, there was I don't know if it's expectancy that violation theory where like you're you you seek information. Is is that it? Is that is that the theory? Uncertainty reduction. Yeah, uncertainty yeah, uncertainty yeah, yeah, reduction yeah. theory. I was like, which one is that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uncertainty reduction theory. I actually still kind of I, I pretty much apply that like to my current job right now since like my job is about building building relationships. You know, yeah. I'm like how do I reduce uncertainty? How do I like get to know these people? How do I like find out more information? You know, yeah. in a not so obvious way where it's I'm doing it for my job, but doing it like in a casual way. Yeah. Well, that is something I grapple with all the time because I constantly feel like a hypocrite. <laughs> And you teach this stuff and you do the wrong thing. Can you pause it real quick? Yeah, so uh, the theory about seeking information, which one was that again? Oh, yes. Uncertainty reduction theory. Uncertainty reduction theory. Yeah. Yeah, like just getting like just getting to know people. Like that's something we naturally do every day. Could like it like is that was a that's an example of what you said where it's common knowledge, it's common sense. But it's just putting a label to it. And let me I wanna go a step further because there is so much trash talk in the general societal conversation about how meaningless a communication major is. You see it on TV all the time, like, oh, did you major in communication? Right? It's, it's made fun of. And I get it because when you hear human communication, you think, oh, that's so common sense. But then look how many sad, miserable people exist because they can't communicate effectively. Like how many toxic Yeah. And I, I know that sounds really harsh for me to say, and it sounds like I'm tearing down the human civilization. I mean it authentically. I mean... I look outside and I'm like, people seem sad and anxious and lonely. And so I do not believe our major is necessarily easy or it's not necessarily, I said common sense, but maybe it's not common sense. It's, it's hard work. I mean, you, you know the answer. I think instinctively we know the... Yeah, I know I said earlier that a lot of our major is common sense and we put words to it. I, I think I want to back... I know, I know, I know. Yeah, what I was saying earlier, I said that a lot of our major communication, it sounds like common sense and we're attaching words to it. So we have a label for it. And I think I want to maybe rephrase it a little bit in the sense that when you're in a moment, I think you instinctively know what should be done to make the conversation or relationship move forward. But it's so hard to do it. You know the phrase, easier said than done, Yeah. right? You know in the moment I should say to you, hey, I'm really uncomfortable with what you're saying and it's making me sad. How hard is it to do that? I just said it, right? And it sounds so easy. And then put yourself in the moment where somebody is making you upset. And it's so vulnerable to look at someone and say, you're making me upset. So what do you do? You say, you are pissing me off right now. And then it blows up. And then all of a sudden you're like, what happened? How do we get to this place where we're literally yelling and screaming at each other? So yeah, it's common sense. But it's really hard to put into practice. Yeah, I, I think I think that I think the reason why is because it's kind of like a combination of uh, like confidence, ego, um, like comfort, you know, yeah. like also just emotional intelligence. Because if you can't stay calm, you're not going to be able to get anything like across. Because yeah. especially if the other person is the same way, you're just going to go in circles. You're just going to yell at each other, and like, what benefit? What like? What result is that going to yeah. go to? One of the things I remember saying in class all the time, and maybe you remember this too, is like, you're having a conflict and things, you're noticing things right out of hand and you notice yourself. You can feel in your body. You're like, I'm enraged. And then to be able to say to that person, I think I, I need a moment. I need to be away from you right now. Because if I stay here and try to have this conversation with you, 
I, I kind of want to smack you in the face, and I don't want that to happen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it it takes a lot of emotional control to say, I'm going to go take a walk right now. Like I need I need three hours, right? Yeah. Because sometimes I think we set up relational climates or like relational environments where you want to leave. Why do you want to leave? We need to hash this out right now. We need to have this conversation. Like, is it not important? Like, yeah, am I not important? Do you, do yeah. you not love? Do you not love me anymore? And it's like, whoa, I, I didn't go there, right? And it's oh gosh, even having this conversation right now, I'm realizing how hard it is. It, it, it really is, is so hard. Because also, like, it might not be the successful like the first time going around, like trying to do it with the person. You know, because it's like a muscle. Like yeah. the first time you you squat, you know, like you may not do the best form. No, your you knees know? might like, pop. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, you're gonna be sore the next day for sure. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 like yeah. just like that relationship is gonna be sore after you yeah. tighten air. Like you know, like that you need a break. But I have like a perfect example of that with my mom. Yeah, you know, like uh, me learning this and learning that it's best to like take time once you're in that emotional state to like not like keep talking because it's just not gonna go anywhere. I started doing it with my mom. Like if I notice that she's getting really upset or i'm getting really upset I'm like like if i see that she's getting really upset I'm like mom i'll leave you alone right now like you know like you're like you're getting like really mad i do the same thing yeah. with my mother yeah, yeah same yeah, thing yeah, with yeah. me like if i'm like if i know i'm upset like if i if i'm like really close to like yelling i don't want to yell so i'm like mom i'm really upset right now like i'm really mad like <laughs> like can you just leave me alone she's like okay like it's gotten to the point where we can just be okay and leave each other alone yeah. which wasn't possible like yeah. two years ago you know and it's interesting because i think we as human beings, we are emotional creatures. And I think that's one of the coolest things about being a human is like we get to experience hundreds, if not thousands of emotions. And I think for us, it's a matter of figuring out what's the best way to feel those and express them. Yeah, like the spectrum of reaction yeah. with like the situation. Anger is important. I, I think, and I don't even want to dissuade people from feeling anger. Like, well, if you feel anger, walk away and, and try to lessen your anger before you talk. Maybe you need an outlet. Maybe you need to go kickboxing, Right. Maybe you need to grab a pillow and scream into it. I don't know. But I think we need to figure out, okay, how do I experience the emotion and how do I express it? Because it's got to go somewhere. Yeah. And part of this too is like accurately labeling the emotion. Like I mentioned earlier, a lot of times we feel upset, but we mask it with anger because anger is more socially acceptable, right? Yeah. Especially for men. A lot of times it's hard for a man in a relationship to be like, I'm really sad right now. I'm sad that I'm not getting these things. So it turns into anger. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially with men, like just like having that emotional intelligence that's something that I practice with my homies, you know? Yeah. Like I validate their feelings. I try to talk about their feelings. I, I ask them a lot about their feelings yeah. just because like a lot of times it's not common to be asked that, you know, especially no. as a guy like, hey, how have you been? You know, like. Well, if you go and you look at the research, male-male relationships, what's, what's the goal? It's instrumental communication. So you come to me and you're like, Yo, Mark, I'm having this problem. I go, oh, I got a solution. And you're like, oh, I, I didn't, I didn't want a solution. And you just gave me unsolicited advice, right? I kind of wanted to just validate the way I was feeling. Yeah. And that's more expressive. That's more feminine communication style. So I think that does take some like social deprogramming to figure out. And this, you know, somebody said this in one of my classes and I was like, how brilliant is this? A student said, oh, you know, in my group of friends, we will go to, I'll go to my friend. I'll say, Hey, I have an issue. And my friend will go, okay, do you want like a listening moment or do you want like a solution-based moment? And I go, that's so brilliant. Because then I get to decide I need you to listen right now. I don't need you to solve this. And then you know what your role is in that interaction. Yeah. And, like, and go back to expectations, right? You're setting up the expectation. And boundaries. And boundaries. And you're communicating it. So it's like, got it. Because how often have you gone to somebody 
you go, man, I'm feeling this way. And they go, oh, well, this is what you need to do. And you go, well, I wasn't asking for your advice, but thanks for giving it anyway, you know? And you almost become irritated with that person. Yeah, I I could totally see myself falling into that. Like, I, um, I'm just a natural problem solver. So when people give me their, like, they're like when they vent to me like i i frame it though not as you should do this but i'm like damn that sucks like you know something you can do could be this you know (laughs) one thousand percent i think it's it is such natural human reaction when somebody comes to you with an element of vulnerability or suffering you're like let me tell you what you can do to solve this because you look like you are vain you know and it's (laughs) like no okay so i'm a huge Brene brown nerd i just i think she's wonderful and i just recently read her atlas of the heart book I watched the HBO special and she said something that blew my mind and it's okay if I share. Yes. So she's talking about this concept called near enemies. So oftentimes you, you can think of the opposite of something very easily. So take compassion. What's the opposite of compassion? Selfishness. Selfishness, right? Like we care about you, but what's the near enemy of compassion? Control. And think about this, right? So you come to me and you're like, hey, this is going on, my life is really hard, and I want to control it, because I'm like, I don't want you to feel that. This is what you should do. Let me tell you what to do. So the near enemy of compassion is control. And I was like, Phew. and I thought, that is so ingrained in our culture, right? Yeah. I can't I can't witness you suffering without me trying to solve it. When in reality, that person needs you to witness their suffering, validate it, and literally be in it with them. And that is flipping hard to do. Yeah, that leads me to this idea that I came like I came across a long time ago, which is the difference between empathy and sympathy. Oh yeah, so Renee Brown talks about that. As well. She's like famously known for trying to separate those two things. Right? Yeah, yeah, because like they're both they both have a like have a connection towards feeling sorry, but it's kind of like the direction of where you like of like what you're feeling sorry with. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how she. Uh, how she explains it probably a lot more better than what I'm going to say right now. <laughs> it's okay. You know? it's okay. But pretty I'm, much yeah. the simple mind version of what I came up, what I came up is that sympathy is feeling sorry for someone. Empathy is feeling sorry with someone. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. And yeah. now tell me the real version. Please. Well, okay. So I, I don't also want to misquote Renee because I'm not entirely clear, but I think she would argue and other academics would argue too, like sympathy drives disconnection. Because when I sympathize with you, I see you as different. You're like, oh, I'm so sorry for you. Yeah, That's going to be okay. awful. Condescending see, type of thing? There's, like, a, there's a pity element to it, okay, right? Like, yes. oh, I'm yeah. so sorry. Oh, that's not happening to me. Things are great for me right now. I'm so sorry for you, right? Yeah. Like, you just hear how awful that sounds? Yeah. Whereas empathy is kind of like, I can't imagine what you're going through. I, I want to understand. Can I, can I help you with anything? I'm here for you. Like, do you want to talk about it some more? Right, like it's just I'm I'm in the shit with you versus I'm outside of the shit and I'm staring at you in the shit and I'm like that looks like some pretty nasty shit, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean that it's it's such an interesting line. Yeah, that like that a lot of people don't really understand, like don't know the difference, you know, because like they both have this sense of like of um of trying to understand a person, yeah. you know. So I was also just having this conversation with a friend too when we think about boundaries and relationships and trying to really be present and compassionate and empathic, there are moments in your life where you don't have the cognitive bandwidth to be empathic with somebody. So if a friend comes to you and they unload on you and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not in the moment. I think it's appropriate for us to say, hey, Caesar, 
I'm going through a really tough time. Do you have a moment to listen and, and, and be there for me? And so I give you the opportunity to say, yeah, I got time. Well, what's going on? Boom. We've opened up that channel. Versus me coming to you and going, I have to unload this on you. And I haven't even checked with you to see if you're ready to that, handle That is so, yeah. I hear so. I hear a lot of people tell me that. That like, that especially, I, I have this one friend who tends to be extremely empathetic towards people. So they tend to draw to her when it comes to looking for advice, looking mm-hmm. for someone to listen to, you know, just for support, emotional support. And this person also deals with a lot of anxiety and has her own problems. And sometimes these people go to her without any consideration for what she's going through when it's like val- validly and justifiably overwhelming for her to just deal with her shit, you know? Yeah. And, and like, it's just uh, kind of creating their boundary of like, hey, like, I'm sorry, but I have too much stuff on my plate, you know? Yeah. I just recently practiced that a while as well. Like someone tried to um, reach out to me, you know, because like they just like they need like they need to ask me for a favor. But it was at a like at a time where I was in a transition of jobs. Like I was I was really stressed out. I was just having a lot going on. So I told them like, hey, like I'm sorry, but right now is not a good time for mm-hmm. me. Like you know, and they understood, you know, and thankfully like it's it's just something that some people don't know how to like say that they don't know how to engage into like you know like prioritizing themselves. You know, like, just because you prioritize yourself doesn't mean you don't care about the relationship. It's just creating those boundaries, you know? Because yeah. if, if you're able to, like, create that boundary, and if they respect it, that makes the relationship so much healthier, mm-hmm. you know, compared to if you create that boundary and they get upset, they're not respecting your boundary. They're not respecting your privacy. They're not yeah. respecting you. Well, as a self-proclaimed people pleaser for a majority of my life, that is, that's a hard skill to learn. Because I think, I mean, at least for me, I was, I was bullied in middle school. So my my defense mechanism was to get everyone to like me. And how do you get everyone to like you? Kiss on your ass. And you turn into a people pleaser. And then when you do that for a decade, that becomes part of your personality. And so I imagine it's so hard for people to put up that boundary. Because if you come to me and I'm like, yes, I'm here for you. Even though I know I should not be taking this on right now. I'm like, I'll do it anyway. Because I need you to like me. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's tough. It's really tough. I, I think I also, like, kind of struggled with that, you know, with people pleasing and creating their boundary. But I think the older I got, the more I realized that, you know, like, it's important for me to focus on myself, you know, like, balance what I can do, what I can't. Yeah. I keep selfishly bringing up my songs, but oh, it's such a good song. Already. So I wrote a song called I'm Getting Old. And what you said, just bringing this up, so one of the lines is, I'm getting old, which means I'm finally starting to know who I really am. He's not perfect, but he's better than he's ever been. I know my worth. It just took me a while and I'll love myself and I'll do it with a smile. And it's like, it's so simple, but it's so true. I feel like the older we get, the more we start realizing, like, I love people and I'm here for them, but I'm also looking out for me too. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. So let's, uh, this is already the third time you mentioned that, like, what we're talking about relates to a song. Oh, yeah. 100%. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when it comes to creating songs for you, are there, like, um, are there certain like ask like is there is there certain perspectives or stories or feelings that like that draw you to make that song? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I would say it's a, a number of things influence me to write a song. It could be something that somebody says. So for instance, a friend of mine one time was just dating this new person, and she was like, "Oh yeah, I love him now, but I might hate him in a week." And I thought well, that's a great opening line Dude, to a song. That's... So I wrote an entire song over that one line. And then sometimes I'll pick up my guitar and I'll play a melody on the guitar and then I'll sing something on top of it. And then that becomes a song. Other times it really is like I'll watch a documentary. Like I just recently watched um, the Andy Warhol documentary and there was a really great quote in it where I was like, 
that's a song. So the influence comes from everything, everywhere. A lot of it comes from what I study. I mean, what we study, communication, it's right for songs. Yeah, you know? I mean, it, it's literally like directly connected to life, you know, like to life experiences. Because yeah, it's just giving you that awareness and that perspective to like point that out and label that. Yeah. And songwriting has, I, I think, made me a more compassionate person because it's made me feel more complete. I feel like before I started writing songs, I was so heavy into just like being a professor and having that be the only element of my identity and I was so unfulfilled and I was so unhappy and because I wasn't tapping into the essence of who I am which is a creative artistic person who wants to perform you know what I'm saying so since I started writing songs I feel like I became a better teacher I became a better researcher I became a better human being in general because I feel like I finally tapped into something that brought me so much joy that I had no idea I even had access to so, you know, in uh, interpersonal, we learn about the Tahari window, like the open, the hidden, the blind, yeah. and the unknown element. I feel like songwriting was always in the unknown element of my personality. Like, I didn't even know I could write songs, and nobody that knew me knew I could write songs. And all of a sudden, I picked up guitar, learned two chords, and I was like, I can write the entire song with these two chords. <laughs> and then finally, it became part of my open window pane, right? And that's just interesting. How long have you been, like, into writing music and three like, years three years yeah a wow. year before the pandemic yeah that was like the, that's the year i met you mm-hmm. 2019 yeah. so that's when i kind of was i was starting i'd only written like maybe like 10 i remember you songs. mentioned yeah you briefly mentioned that. yeah i can't stop I, I write like a new song at least every week yeah i remember you briefly mentioned in comp theory that you wrote songs and then yeah. i remember my last day with you for nonverbal. You started singing, you were singing songs. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Now I'm like, you guys want to hear a song? <laughs> I shamelessly just sing in front of all my glasses. I'm like, you are now my audience. And I always and say, before audience. I perform a song, I say, if you want to leave, you can. Because I would never force you to stay here for me to sing a song. Yeah. So I always give you the out. I'm like, you can peace out. And I don't care. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's, it's so interesting. Like, just like the whole concept of music and how everybody, like, leans towards it in a specific way. Yeah. Because, you know? like, I love music, but in a way of listening and appreciating. Yeah. I personally never found, uh, like, and motivation. And I do, too. I listen and appreciate their, I, I listen, literally, I listen to music throughout the entire day. And there's never a moment where I'm not listening to music. I'm obsessed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's for, like, right now, for what you're saying, it's clearly a passion for you. you yeah. Know? And, like, it's something that, like, just because it's passion doesn't, like, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of the idea of, like, it's not a black or white, you know, like, it's a spectrum of passion. Like, yeah. I have a passion of listening as well as like analyzing music, understanding it. You have a passion of like listening, understanding, analyzing, and writing. And creating. And creating, you know. And there's something so unbelievably powerful to me personally and cathartic. Because I have, I have, I journal a lot. So I'll, I'll make like a note in my phone. I'll be like, thoughts for June 8th, 2022. I remember, I remember you briefly yeah, showed yeah, yeah, me yeah. that. Like, you didn't I let think, me read any, but like, you oh, showed me like, no, no one's reading like, any of yeah, those. Yeah, but you, but you, had, like, the, you had a yeah, lot yeah, of The thought that. notes are sometimes very dark. <laughs> I go back and I read them and I go, oh shit, I was feeling yeah, one around that Yellow day. flag. Yeah. <laughs> yellow flag. So I, I do, I write lots of notes and I journal, but sometimes there's this powerful, really cathartic element where you take this thought you had and you put it to a melody and then all of a sudden it becomes something different. It becomes something that I can digest. Because sometimes my thoughts are so heavy and dark. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck to do with these thoughts. And then I put them to a song and I'm like, oh, 
oh, that's what those are. And it's like the fact that I now put it to a melody, it just sounds brighter. Even if the song is like melodramatic and sad, it just, it changes the way I think about and reflect on it. That to me, songwriting is my journaling. 10,000%. That, I mean, it makes sense considering what you're saying where you're like, you started writing, you started journaling a lot and then now you're almost writing a song like every week. Every week. I yeah. still, I still try to journal every day. So at least I'm like, I'm writing my thoughts. So like part of the journal is our, like our lyrics, like eventually. So sometimes I'll go into like old thought notes or I also like, there's my journal right there on the table right there. So sometimes I'll go into that and I'll be like, Ooh, oh, that could be a song. And then again, you just kind of. I try to keep all of my ideas. So like if I come up with a melody in my head while I'm taking a walk, I open up a voice memo and I sing it into the voice memo. And okay. then like three months later, I'll do a journal entry that kind of relates to that little voice memo I made. And then I sit down with my guitar and I try to flesh out the entire song. Is there like a specific genre of production that you like to follow with your lyrics? So, gosh, that's it's so interesting that you say that. Listening wise and appreciating, I listen to pretty much everything. I just, I am so enthralled by artists who take a sound and make something that you listen to it and you go, I have to listen to it again and again. Do you ever listen to a song on repeat? Yeah. Uh, yes. Like not too often because uh, like it, it does kind of de- like desensitize me like, you know, but I, that, that does happen with yeah. very, very special songs. Yeah. So to me that happens all the time. So right now, every single day I have what I call my morning song. It's the song I put on the moment I wake up. Okay. Right? And it's like, that is the song I will listen to on repeat. And I do it because I'm so enthralled with the lyrics, the melody, the production. And then I look up the artist. Like, who wrote it? I always go to the songwriting credits. And I'm like, who wrote it? And I want to go look up that person. Like, who is this person? And I want to know their history. Like, why did they write this song? You know? And I just become so engrossed in it. And I think, um, I don't know where I'm going with this. No worries. I asked you about, like, Production-wise. Production-wise. Yeah. So I'm saying all that to say that I listen to so much music, but when I write, I write on the acoustic guitar. Yeah. So it tends to go more towards a folk, like folk pop element. And I am trying so hard. I think I'm in that part of my songwriting journey where I want to start trying to experiment with other production elements like rock and roll or a really techno pop or maybe more R&B, neo-soul, but I haven't gotten there because I'm still writing on the acoustic guitar. So very much production element-wise, it still goes toward folk, comedy, pop. Yeah. Also, I love to laugh. If you haven't noticed, I love to laugh. So a lot of my songs, I incorporate humor because the way I manage and deal with things is through humor. I, I have to laugh at myself. Yeah, well, I mean, like, music is all about how you express yourself artistically. You yeah. Know? And then for you to, like, identify with being, like, with, like, with humor, and, humor and comedy and stuff, it makes a lot of sense why you incorporate that to your yeah. music. I've always wanted to do stand-up comedy, but I'm scared shitless of it. Because stand-up comedy, I feel like, and I've done it twice, and each time it's terrifying. When you get up to do stand-up comedy, you're literally holding the mic, and there's no music, right? And I'm just like, I need to make you laugh. And if you don't laugh, I'm bombing. Does that make sense? Yeah. With music, you don't have to laugh. Because I'm singing a song, and you're just impressed that I'm singing a song. And then at the end, if you laugh during the song, great, you laugh. I made you giggle, right? But at the end, you're going to clap. Yeah. I just sang you a song. So I feel like I've taken my desire to do stand up and I've put it into music because it feels more comfortable to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you could be funny with music and especially in, in a live setting, you know, yes. in, in open mics, that's a good way to kind of like experiment with that. It's my favorite my favorite moment is singing a song in front of an audience that has not heard my song before and they're like they laugh at it. And I want them to laugh because they're like, I didn't think of it that way. Do you like do they laugh because it's like a shock factor or like is it I like think, a pun? Or? So if you think about humor, 
most humor you laugh because it's an expectation violation. Yeah. You didn't expect that line or yeah. you didn't expect that punch, right? Yeah. And it builds up and then boom. So yes, I think they're laughing at the shock and the fact that yeah, some things I say are pretty shocking to myself. Without a doubt. I want them to be shocking. Yeah. How long have you been doing stand-up? I mean, not stand-up, sorry, open mics. Just open mics? Oh, gosh. The first one I went to was in July of 2019. So just about three years now. But I remember the pandemic happened. Yeah. So I was shut down for a year. I'm so... I, so collectively, I've been performing for me. I'm, I'm addicted to performing music. Like, it is it is a rush. I just went to an open mic last night. Not the time my favorite life. I always do. You give me a microphone and then a guitar. Ooh, we're going to have fun. Yeah. And you, you, you usually do it in L.A., right? I go to L.A., but I've been finding some uh, new ones. Uh, just around like the Long Beach area or even like inland a little bit. Okay. I try to really spend my day in some very different places. Because I want I want different audiences. Yeah, that's really good. If I go to the really same good. open mic every week, it's going to be the same audience. Well, I think the same audience who kind of let you... Um, I, I mean, the same audience could help you when it comes to stand-up, though. Yeah. Because yeah. you will learn, like... Yeah. I, I, you could learn what makes them laugh and do a stand-up directly, like, specifically for them. Yeah. And then it, it could kind of just, like, stem into something else. Stem into something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, the open mic I used to go to, I would go to every single week, and I would go because I wrote a different song. So it was nice to go to the same crowd because they knew me, and I would sing them a different song every week. I tried to never repeat. Okay. Now when I go to new open mics, I repeat songs. So right now yeah. I'm, I'm finishing up a five-song EP, and I try to specifically... Go to different open mics so I can sing the same song to a different crowd. Because I want to get really great at performing those five songs. Yeah. So I, no matter I what agree. crowd I'm in front of, I'm like, I'm going to deliver these five songs real, real well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, definitely, I could I could totally see that doing, I mean, like, not doing, sorry. I could totally see that happening. Yeah. Successful. Do you have, like, a favorite type of, a, like, I guess, um. Like, do you listen? Like, do you listen to any music that hypes you up before you like perform, or do you listen to your own music? Or? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I am always really drawn to performers who are weird. Like, I love David Byrne of the Talking Heads. Do you know who they are? No. Oh, uh, they're like a nineteen seventies, eighties man. And David Byrne is still alive. He just made a musical, American Utopia. You need to go watch, and everybody needs to go watch the live show. Talking Heads. It's called Stop Making Sense. Where can they, where can we Amazon Prime? Yeah, okay, I'm thinking cool. like rent it. It's just you're gonna watch it. Be like, you're first gonna be like, this is so bizarre, but it is captivating. I also love David Bowie, okay. the Davids, you know, Elton John. Um, but then I also love Lord. I love Joni Mitchell, um, Alanis Morissette. Have you seen her perform? No. She is number one. She sounds great live, and she's so inter- the way she moves her body when she performs. I'm just. I some people are performers. Yeah, some people are yeah. just born natural performers. Yeah. Like, yeah I, I feel like that, that is me, and I am finally, after like 20 years of it being dormant, I'm finally uncovering that part of myself again. That's so I pushed, exciting. I, when I was nine years old, I was going to play. And I was like, I am going to perform for the rest of my life. This is what I was meant to do. And then that little nine-year-old was thrust into the world <laughs> and beaten down. It was like, performing is not an actual career and so then you know slowly you learn well how can i be practical and like make it in this world and i feel like i spent 20 years of my life doing that and now i'm finally breaking all that shit down and trying to figure out how can i tap into that performative because i know it's in there but it's like i'm trying to battle again like 20 years of of deprogramming if that makes sense 
I've been in the Matrix a long time. I'm still in it, and I'm trying to like learn how I can break out of it. Well, I mean, like you're you're still really young. That's one thing that also tripped me out as a professor. You're also really you're a really young professor. And at the start of this podcast, I told you about my interpersonal yeah. communication teacher walking this young woman, and I'm like, you can be a professor in your 30s. Yeah, I I was I started teaching at the age of 22. 22. Yeah, because I started my master's program, so I was yeah. 22 in my first class. I had no facial hair. I looked like I was 12. So I walked into these students and were like, who the hell are you? And I'm like, like They probably thought you were like <laughs> pranking them. <laughs> 1,000%. And then I finished my PhD at 28, so I became a professor at 28. Yeah, that is, that's, 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 that's crazy. I have to imagine these students look at, I walk in and they go, there's no way. There's yeah. no way. I mean, I mean, even now you're still really young, you know, like you're still in your 30s, you know, like yeah. you have so much time ahead and for you to kind of unlock this part right now. Added like I could I could see it added like either like a new spark or like like a lit a fire or, like added something fresh into your perspective. There is this book I read and I'm looking at my bookshelf right now because I'm like, is it on there? So the book is called Originals and it's by Adam Grant. And the book is all about he so he's an organizational psychologist at the Wharton School at University of Pennsylvania and he studies um, a lot of organizational psychology, but this book was predominantly about how creativity happens, how does ingenuity happen. And so he was looking at all the literature. And one of the things he found is that there's this, this trend that people are most creative when they're teenagers and in their 30s. The 20s seem to be a more of a dormant time, but if you think about it, like your teenager, you're angsty as hell. And you're like, who am I? Like, I don't understand my family, they don't get me. So you're really creative. And then in your 30s, you just went through your whole entire 20s trying to be a professional adult and failing miserably. So then in your 30s, you're like, Fuck all that. Let me try to be creative. Yeah. And so I really feel like I found my creativity the moment I turned 30. Thanks. I don't attribute it to me like, you will find your creativity at 30. I just think it's so ironic that I read that book and I'm like, I'm 30. And that's exactly how I feel. You know what I'm yeah, saying? I mean, um, I, I like to stress that in, in, in today's uh, world, 30s are the new 20s. <laughs> and the 40s are the new 30s. Yeah, yeah. like for real though. Like a lot of people are starting to... At the end of the day, age is just a number. Yes. I, yeah. I have heard about people who are 80 and they start painting. And they create masterpieces. You, I don't care what your age is. If you have not done something that you have wanted to do, what the fuck are you waiting for? You know what I'm saying? I keep swearing. I'm yeah. Just potty mouth. No worries. No, oh my gosh. But it's all yeah, like for real though. Like a lot of times, it's, but it's because it's the the risk factor. The risk, and also the, not only the risk of like uh, maybe monetary economic stuff, the risk of judgment from people. Yeah, yeah. It's the risk of failure and judgment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Rejection. You're gonna put a disclaimer that I swear a lot, right? You're like Doctor G likes to swear. <laughs> well, I mean, like, in, like I'm telling you, like when I tell my guests the the rules here, like one of the rules is you cussing is a lot. Okay, good, yeah. good, 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 good. Unless you want me to put it, unless you want me to put it in. No, 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 we're good. I'm just realizing, like now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've said at least the f word three times. Yeah, hey, <laughs> this is an adult conversation. Okay, you know? good, 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 solid. Yes. So when it comes to songwriting, like, do you have any inspirations? Like anyone that like you look you look at? Uh, yeah, I, I break down my inspirations in terms of vocalizing, performance, and songwriting. So like vocalizing, okay. gosh, I love a lot of singers. I love George Michael. I love Elton John. I love I love Whitney Houston. Although I know I will never sound as good as Whitney. Whitney's my number one singer of all time. Like She's, I just her voice was. Yeah. yeah Basically, it. if you go on my YouTube, the algorithm is just like, here are videos of Whitney Houston singing. You know what I'm saying? Also, like, Patti LaBelle, Mariah Carey. I just, I love the women 
powerhouse vocals. And then Kelly Clarkson, I've seen her 10 times in concert. Love really? her. Yes, obsessed. I think she's the greatest vocalist out right now. Wow. She can sing anything and it will sound wonderful. In terms of performance, very much like in the vein of David Bowie or David Byrne talking heads, I love Lady Gaga. And I always she's said, a performer. I've always said I love Lady Gaga because she performs like no one is watching. And that is my goal. Because if you think about the risk factor, right? Like you've been mentioning, we're so afraid of people's judgment. I'm so captivated by artists who get up there and they don't care what people are thinking. Because you know when you go to a concert, you know people on that, they care what people are thinking. Yeah. Like they're good, but they're like, I don't want to do too much. I don't want to move the wrong way. Lady Gaga does not care. She's like, I don't give a shit. You're welcome. I'm here. I'm performing for you. You're lucky. Yeah, you're welcome. You're like, welcome. Yeah. You know? And then songwriting, Joni Mitchell's like at the top. I just, I fell in love. I've fallen in love with Joni Mitchell over the last year. And if you have not heard her stuff, go and listen to it because she's somebody, her lyrics are just, gosh, they're so deep. You're like, who are you? You just wonderful human being. Uh, Stevie Nicks, I love her songwriting. Lord, um, Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill is my favorite album. Just so, so good. Yeah, I would break it down in those categories. Yeah, that's those are a lot of inspiration. I know. Yeah, I but know. I mean that just shows like the range that you have for like those the, the love you the love you yeah. have for music. And yeah. I also love musicals. It is a dream of mine to write a musical, My, a comedy musical. I know. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, just add that flair of like personality right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like, that's what like that's what could make you different, you know. Especially like with what you're saying, with how you're engaging with music, you know, like doesn't seem like you're going to fall under recording art. You're gonna be if like you're gonna be someone who performs live, you know, like you're yeah. already implementing that into your songwriting with the humor factor, you know, because that's already considering that you're like you're 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 performing from someone and you're like you're looking to see like what are the reactions, you know, like laughs and stuff. Yes, and again, I, I want people at least when I make music, I'm like, I want you to hear the lyrics and think about them. I want you to hopefully hear the music and be like, that's nice. I like that melody or that groove, and I want you to leave thinking like. I'm a little bit different after that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've left so many concerts being like, I'm different now. You know? Yeah. I That literally happened to me recently with, like, yeah. with like, yeah, I totally, I totally get that. Like, there's also like a kind of post-concert depression when it comes to like performances that really hit, like hit a specific part of you. You like, go so high and then you leave and you're like, the real world. <laughs> yeah. Damn, reality now. Like, it's not, it's not like that. <laughs> The real world. One of the songs I wrote is called Beautiful Dream, and the hook is literally, it's a beautiful dream, and then it's back to reality. Yeah. 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 Um, so how much, like, how many songs do you have right now released into? Like, oh, gosh. I haven't released much. Album. I've only released, I think, six songs. And I love the songs I've released, but I, I definitely want to get more into, like, the comedy element and really bring that out. Um, so I'm hoping that this five-song EP will get released soon, and that will be more of an indication of kind of the artistic direction I want to go in. So, like, with with doing the EP, like, is it kind of, uh, you're picking your five best songs, or is there, like, a... No, there was a theme. A there was a theme. Yeah, okay. yeah so the EP is going to be called Things We All Have In Common. Um, and so, basically, every song is, in my opinion, Things We All Have In Common. Like, one song is called Everybody Poops. <laughs> one song is called We All Need A Hug. Um, another song is called We're All Hypocrites. Uh, we're All Getting Old. So, basically, I'm trying to find these themes that we all have in common that are also hilarious. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that. That definitely will like add a add a like a like a, like a flair to like to what you're doing. You know, I also love your name, Doctor Generous. I know because it's it's, it's literally it's literally I, your name, but it's also like an artistic name as well. I like, joke with people. I'm like, that's the only reason I got a PhD was to be Doctor Generous. Everything else was just whatever. 
<laughs> just kidding. I'm just kind of. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Generous. Like, yeah, that name, like, yeah, Dr. Generous is very, uh, yeah, it, it popped out when I first yeah. heard it. Yeah. And you're like, who is this? Yeah. Yeah. And then your personality fitted. I was like, okay, like, all right. All right. Talk about trying to live up to that name, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He fit. He fit. He fit. Yes. Solid. Yeah. Um, and do you rec- like do you record like with uh, like at a studio or do you like do it at home? So usually I, I go to open mics and I find people at open mics who are producers, and I'll usually networking. go up networking. I usually go up and say like, "Hey, I loved your song. I listened to some of your stuff on Spotify. I really like your production techniques. Are you looking for new artists?" And uh, that's usually how I'll get that conversation going. And in, in Los Angeles, I mean, people are they're aspiring DJs, aspiring producers. Yeah, they're craving to work yeah. with people. And I think when I come to them, they're like, I don't know what to do with you, but let's try. Because I'm bringing them songs like everybody poops. Like, what do you do with that? You know what I'm saying? And so it really is, it becomes a collaboration. Like, what are we going to make this sound like? You know? Yeah, that's definitely really interesting. Um, so when you write your songs, do you write for, like, for a melody or do you or do you just write with the idea and then come up? Both. Yeah. It's, I mean, I love melodies, so I want the melody to be good and I want it to be sticky, you know? Like, I want it to be something you hear and you go, okay, that's in my head now. But also, the words mean so much to me. I think that's why I love communication. I just love words. I love words. And so I want the lyrics to be something that you can read the lyrics by themselves and it's like, yeah, I mean, there's there's three main components to a song, I believe. Um, it's production, melody, and lyrics. Yeah. And, like, they they all complement each other, you know? Like, yeah, melody would be nice, but if the lyrics kind of suck, like, it devalues it once you kind of realize, like, oh, damn, like, that's what the, what the, that's what the song's saying? Perfect example is uh, Pump the Kids. Like, it sounds so Such good. Such a deep song. Yeah, like, it's, yeah, like, the, but the lyrics, like, are a little weird, like, you know, talking yeah. about, like, shoot, like, a school shooting. Like They're deep. Yes, yeah. yes. You know, and it's, like, it's just, there's so many other, um, there's so much music out there just like that, that, like, that it, it thrives in one or two aspects of it, but then, you know, to make a complete artist, like, all three kind of have to balance each other out. And right now, I feel like I'm, I'm so close to locking in the lyrics and melody, and I'm, I'm really working hard on production. I haven't, I don't think I've found my sound quite yet, but I'm, I'm getting there and I'm excited for the journey. Are you finding, are, are you going through the journey by like, by like um, experimenting with different people and collaborating with them? Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't have the technical skills to produce yet. I mean, I could, I could do a rough production and like GarageBand or Logic, but I want to collaborate with somebody who has more experience so that way I can learn from them and figure out, well, what can you bring and what can I bring and how can we kind of meld those worlds together, you know? Yeah, it, it is. It is a long journey, but it's one I'm very excited about. I think my hard part is because my my music taste is so broad. It's like, how do I take everything and then bring it together? I just read this story that David Bowie. So when David Bowie first came out, he was very much like run of the mill folk singer. He just like had a folksy haircut and like wore a jean jacket. And he was okay. I mean, he came out with Space Oddity, and that was a pretty big hit. But then he kind of went away for a while, and then came out with Biggie Stardust and Starman, and he had taken these magazine clippings and this is the story I heard. This could not be accurate. So I'm recanting if you will. Disclaimer. Disclaimer. And he threw all these images in the air and just saw how they fell on the ground. And he leaned into his love of theatrics and like dramatic art. And that's where he created the costume and the makeup. And it came out and it was huge. People were like so drawn to it. And so I think I'm in that moment of figuring out like, how do I take everything I love and like bring it in to who I am? Well, I think some of the best artists are the ones that are constantly like evolving and growing and taking risks. You yeah. Know? So as, as long as you feel like you're 
you're like experimenting, you know, and you're right now, you're literally experimenting and finding your niche, finding your like finding what, what works, what doesn't work, yeah. especially with production, you know. So, and it's I, risky and terrifying, yeah. But yeah. I mean, get weird, like, who knows? Yeah, weird, who man, get yeah, some of the best songs in the world are the weirdest songs, like, you're like. What is yeah. this? Like it's you're it's because they're the it. most they're the most memorable. Yeah. Like they're not generic. They're not like there's something that's gonna catch you, like whether it's the shock factor or whether it's something that like people didn't know they needed. I know. Yeah, because like, you know, like that's what I love about music is that like it's so complex that like any little like tone, any little word difference, any little production shift, like can change the entire feeling of the song that's gonna exactly. be like, Yeah. <sighs> I could go on for music about music for days i'm just obsessed with it yeah i know i could tell i'm so me- i'm just mesmerized by like how we've gotten to where we're at and just the level of creativity that exists and the level of untapped creativity yeah you know i think some people get upset they're like oh the good music's already been made and i'm like no it hasn't how do you feel about samples i'm okay with them. yeah i mean like i i, I don't I'm, I'm a little bit pickier about new music. I do like new music, but I think it's it's hard for me to fall in love with new music because I'm really falling in love with music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s right now. Like that's where my my focus is going. But um, if somebody samples something and it's done well, like I'll hear it and I'll go, "Oh, that's catchy," you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, some of the best samples are songs from the 50s, 60s, and like mm-hmm. 70s, 80s. I mean, I think about some of greatest samples right like heartbreaker by mariah carey yeah i'm not heartbreaker i'm sorry fantasy no, no, by fantasy, mariah fantasy, yeah, and like, fantasy yeah. sample the tom tom heads which was tina wymouth from the talking heads she's the bassist and um one of her bandmates created the tom tom heads and um that song then became the sample for fantasy one of my favorite samples is also uh um oh honey oh honey yeah i don't know that one it goes like bum 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 <laughs> I, 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 you can tell I have no melody down. I did so bad. That's there. okay. That's okay. But yeah. no, sampling is, if done well, it can be wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Janet Jackson, Got Till It's Gone, which samples Joni Mitchell's uh, Big Yellow Taxi. It's a fantastic sample because it almost becomes its own song. Yeah. Like and it, it just samples a little fragment. Yeah. You know? And like, yeah, I love the samples that like kind of just like it's an enhancement rather than like a tool, like yes. rather than a crutch or something that yeah. like will like bring it down. It just elevates it. Yeah, elevates yeah. exactly. Sometimes I think the sampling gets over relied on and it, it becomes this um, almost, what's the word I'm looking for? I, so I feel like sometimes the sample, it's there just to draw your attention and the song isn't actually great. I agree with you. I recently listened to a song that like the sample carried the song. I'm like, how does like, how does yeah. that work? Like, how do you create and something? It's, it's fine because that's going to make money. And a lot of times that's what we're out to do. And people are going to be drawn to it. And if it brings people happiness, that's great. I think for me, though, because I love music so much, if the sample is just there to grab your ear and then nothing meaningful is added, I'm not going to listen to it multiple times. Yeah, something I love about, also, like, it's so interesting about samples is, like, how like people could take different parts of the song and make completely different, like, music, you know? Yeah. Just, like, uh, for so, example, the there's a song called Bound that uh, Kanye West samples for his yeah. song Bound 2. Yeah. As well as Tyler Creator samples that song for the song A Boy's Event. Yeah. You know, they both have to do with love, but, like, different perspectives of love. Like, yeah, it's so interesting. Like, So another great sample, um, Selena Gomez, Bad Liar, samples the bass line from Psycho Killer by the Talking Heads. And it's, it, this. I love Bad Liar because the sample is just the bass line and then everything else around it is completely different. So if you don't know Talking Heads, you will not know that that's a sample. But if you go to the songwriting credits, all the members of Talking Heads are song members because they wrote Psycho Killer. And all they sample is that little bass line. And it's so well done. 
that to me is an, an example of an excellent sample. Yeah, I just mean, like, taking that yeah. baseline and boom, you know. There's some, yeah, like that's like that's the genius of producers sometimes that like they just have that 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 sight that like that that sense, you know, that ear to pick up something so small as a baseline and like pop that, you know, into yeah. a new song. It's, yeah. it's it's insane how how like how complex music is, you know, like something I I, I remember you're the one who. Uh, so I knew Kendrick Lamar won a Pulitzer. I, I wasn't exactly sure what that was, and then he told me that it was a Nobel Nobel Prize for Literature. Oh, is that okay? And I could be wrong about is that supposed to Nobel for Literature? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I just I know Kendrick won for writing. Yeah, because his writing is genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he's one of the greatest lyricists of all time. Yeah, it's insane how like how um, intricate and. and deep and like layered his yeah. lyrics are and like oh. a lot of times when surface level like you don't really know unless he reads the lyrics and like kind of like put two and two together you're like dang yeah that has a message there's a per there's a there's a, a page uh on tiktok called dissect podcast it's a podcast but uh he does like music analysis and he's a really this person's a really big fan of kendrick where the, he makes tiktoks um talking about like specific verses that Kendrick makes that yeah. like are super super complicated like beyond what you ever would have thought like he brings math into like what he's doing he brings like some crazy like techniques that you would have never thought that's so cool yeah it's I mean like it's just like like he does those risks you know that like that are just beyond what people would think and that's what makes like that's what makes great like the greatest like the greatest you know and I feel like for an artist that is what makes it exciting because you're thinking to yourself I'm going into uncharted territory and I'm terrified and I'm leaning into it because as an artist, yeah, we could, we could do the sample. We could do all that stuff and it seems easy and it's comfortable, but is it going to be remembered forever? Who knows? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And are you going to absolutely love it when you release it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I feel like whatever you you do, you should love, like, you know, like that should be the main goal rather than thinking, Oh, are people going to like this? Like if you like it, that should like, that should that should be enough because what you're releasing is an extension of yourself. Yeah. If, if you're not being genuine with that, then like then what like, like what you're releasing is not going to represent you, like the real you. You know. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel with this. That's a tough question. Who is the real you? Yeah. And that's that's something I, I journal about all of the time. That's you know what I'm saying? That's existential. That crisis is that you're existential like. crisis. Yes, ten thousand percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who am I? It changes every day. Yeah. You like, know? What are you doing here? Like, you know, like, who do people, like, what do people see you as? Like, yeah. Like, what are some things you can do for people? Yeah. I mean, I think everyone, like, everyone goes through that, you know? Well, I think we just, we want to, like you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, not get to the end and feel like we didn't tap into potential. You Unful- know? Unfulfilled potential. Yeah. We want to get to the end and be like, you know what? I lived. And it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what a what a what a crazy intense and very like broad conversation we just had today. <laughs> Sorry, and we've only scratched the surface. Literally, yeah. only scratched the surface of so much. I wanted to talk to you about so many things. I feel like, I mean, you blew my mind on so many things that I learned in communication, and I and I really want to like help try, like bridge that between people because yeah. like because what we learned it gets me kind of upset that I needed to get a bachelor's to learn what I learned. I know. You know, like I feel that. Yeah, and like it's the gatekeeping, you know what I'm saying? It really is. Yeah, yeah. like I had a page just to learn from you. I, <laughs> you <know? laughs> I'm laughing. 
because it's hilarious but also sad at the same time. Yeah. Sometimes the saddest realities are hilarious. Yeah. They are. I mean, it's perspective. It's perspective. perspective. Yes, you yes, know? yes. I agree. It's yeah. Why? Why do we have to pay to to learn something so important? Yeah, but I mean, hopefully people don't have to pay us if we are going to. We're going to help them. So yeah. Um, yeah. But I agree. I, we've only scratched the surface. There's so much more to talk about. Yes. Whether it's music, I would love to get more on your EP once it's released. Yeah. You know, get yeah. to just pick your brain on that. As well as, um, I will let you just bring you back to kind of talk about, like, get dive more into specific uh, concepts of communication that I feel like would just overall enhance people's lives. Yeah. You know, like, but uh, you, you, everyone who's listening, they're going to have to wait for that because we are running out of time here. No, we've, we've delved in deep to that. Yeah, we did. Yeah. This was such a long time to make it. I think it was over a year and a half. Mm-hmm. We had this, I had a conversation on a podcast and. You know, like you've been open for so much time yeah, that, like, yeah, yeah. After, it just it took so long. But thank you for like having patience. One thousand percent. And of course, it's interesting too because we're not talking as like friends, yeah, and not teacher student, yeah. You like, know what I'm I, 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 yeah, I was so used to calling you Doctor G that yeah. now I'm calling you Mark. Like, it's just like it's uh, what's expectancy violation? Yeah, you're like, what? This is it. It takes students a while to get used to that. I yeah. students who graduated six months ago and they still they still email me and they say Dr. G and I go it's Mark you graduated yeah you know yeah you, you yeah you do a good job you do a good job of yeah. separating that but uh, with that being said do you want to plug in any of your yeah. social medias or anything like that that is so gracious of you thank you I would love to just let you all know if you want to find me it is D O C T O R G E N E R O U S that's Doctor Generous I had to spell out the full word Doctor because there was another D R Generous. Oh. I'm like, who is this? But yeah, so on all social medias, D-O-C-T-O-R, Dr. Generous, G-E-N-E-R-O-U-S. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, all the streaming platforms. And I would love for you to follow so you can find out when the EP is coming out. Yeah, not even that, but like you also like post on your social medias when you go on like open mics and stuff too, you know? Exactly. You do you do post that as well, like as advertising. So if anyone's interested in seeing what this what this person has to offer yeah some follow live in. music yeah. yeah do open mic you know don't just go to listen but get involved you know oh, get on top get on the stage as well so burying your soul in front of a microphone is one of the most cathartic beautiful things that you can do yeah and um one more theme yeah. mark is that i would not have graduated or passed my classes if it wasn't for your like empathy and understanding especially with my situation my health situation um that's something that I just want to put here that like I appreciate you so much for that. That's something that I'm always gonna be grateful for. You know, that's something that I feel kind of like adept to. Like not like not because I like it, like it's yeah. weird. It's 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 such a weird appreciation. But yeah, you definitely did change my life, and I and I hope like the more we can work together and collaborate, other people can see like the potential you have, like just for influence, not just in communication, but with music, with love, with with the way you have to offer you know yeah so i look forward to just seeing thank the, you for those kind words i feel very similarly about you you know as a teacher of 12 years it's like you've taught a thousand thousands of students and then there are those few that come through where it's like damn a connection was made and like both people learned you learned from me i learned from you it was truly reciprocal and again these conversations will continue yeah i mean i look forward to it i definitely would love to have you back on yeah um so everyone just keep an eye on off eye out for that and if you haven't already you could always follow me on social media at zenith underscore podcast on instagram and twitter and if you want to just keep updated as well just stay connected to us because hopefully this will be a recurring thing with us yeah and with that being said you know where to find me at the zenith till next time people i will see you love you goodbye peace love and paddington <laughs>
Thank <laughs> you.